Well, family, he's been called America's blue-collar hero. His name is Mike Rowe. And many of you know Mike Rowe from his popular television series, Dirty Jobs, on the Discovery Channel, where for eight seasons, Mike traveled to every state in America, and he became a real-life apprentice working alongside of actual plumbers, electricians, steam fitters, pipe fitters, bricklayers, farmers, fishermen, and a whole host of other skilled workers who keep America running. Now, family, Mike's personal passion is not merely to entertain people, but to educate them, most especially about the desperate need America has at present for more skilled workers. According to his website, Mike writes these words, Over the last 30 years, America has convinced itself that the best path for most people is an expensive four-year degree. Pop culture has glorified the corner office job while unintentionally belittling the jobs that helped to build that corner office. As a result, our society has devalued any other path to success and happiness. Community colleges, trade schools, apprenticeship programs are now labeled as alternative. Millions of well-intended parents and guidance counselors see apprenticeships and on-the-job training opportunities as vocational consolation prizes, best suited for those students not cut out for the brass ring of the four-year degree. This push in higher education has coincided with the removal of vocational arts from high schools nationwide, and the effects of this one-two punch has laid the foundation for an ever-widening skills gap and massive student loan debt totaling nearly $1.2 trillion. Christian friends, I'm proud to say that I grew up in a blue-collar household. My dad worked in the heating and air conditioning trade for more than 40 years. And I grew up happy, I grew up healthy, and I grew up with a hard work mindset. And I wholeheartedly agree with Mike Rowe and others that blue-collar people are the glue that holds this country together. These are not second-tier people. These are not second-rate people. These are not second-class people. These are good people. These are hard-working people who keep America moving forward. Family, over these next three Sundays together, I'd like to lead you through a special sermon series for Christmas that I've entitled Blue Collar Christmas. And what I'd like to do, friends, in these three messages running up to Christmas is show you how God used blue-collar people as part of His great salvation story. And friends, my goal for this series for us is not merely to educate you a little more about these well-known nativity characters, but more importantly, to inspire you to serve God yourself. Friends, all through the pages of the Bible, and especially in the nativity narratives of, of Matthew and Luke's gospel, time and again, we see the Lord God using regular people, ordinary people, 
to do extraordinary things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And friends, the encouraging news for you and me is that God is still doing this. God is still in the business of using ordinary people like you and me to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. So friends, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's open to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. We want to consider the character this morning, the character and the actions of Jesus' earthly father. This man was a blue-collar man. He was a blue-collar carpenter whose name was Joseph. Now, family, many of us, of course, know Joseph and Mary by name. But how many of us have actually slowed down to consider that Jesus' earthly parents really were regular people, blue-collar, ordinary people? Out of the millions and millions of married couples that would walk across this planet, it was to this humble carpenter, a blue-collar guy, and his wife, who were given the extraordinary privilege of bringing Jesus Christ into this world and then raising him in God's ways so that he could be used for God's purposes. Friends, we need a reminder again this morning that Joseph and Mary, they were not patron saints. They weren't patron saints with little halos around their heads. No, they were just blue-collar people. They were ordinary people, just like you and me, who were willing to be used by God for His purposes. Well, friends, as we look here at this great text today, what evidences do we find here that Joseph really was a good and godly man? How did Joseph prove to be the right man for this job? And what relevant applications can you and I glean out of the biography of Joseph? What can we learn for our Christian lives in the here and now? Well, family, this morning from Matthew's Gospel, I want us to look this morning at three lines of evidence. Three lines of evidence that reveal Joseph's true character. And here's the first line of evidence. Here's number one, if you're taking some notes there in your bulletin. Number one, I want to show you this from God's Word. Joseph sought a godly solution to his personal crisis. Number one, Joseph sought a godly solution to his personal crisis. Now look with me here in God's Word. We're in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 18 and verse 19 as you follow along. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, family, just before we start to dig in here and, and examine this personal crisis in which Joseph found himself, let's take just a moment or two here to talk about this little descriptor that's in verse 19, where Joseph is described, you see it there, as a just man, a just man. Now, friends, I know many of you would probably agree with me that America is a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. That, that can't be denied. That's part of our history. It's part of our background as a country. We, we have that in our bloodstream as Americans. But friends, I think you'd also agree with me that just because America has a background in Judeo-Christian values, that doesn't automatically mean 
that every American walking the streets today is a genuine evangelical Christian who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And now you'd, you'd agree with both of those statements. Well, friends, when we go back in time and we put ourselves here at the time of the birth of Jesus, just because a person lived in Israel and just because they were Jewish by descent didn't automatically mean that they were devoted to the Lord God or obedient to the Lord's ways. And that is so important for you and I to understand. By the time of Jesus, many Jews had been distracted by political activism. They were involved in activism against Rome. Other Jews had been sidetracked by legalism and keeping all these rules and regulations that had been poured out by the religious elites. And of course, many Jews, even during the days of Jesus, many Jews had been totally corrupted by worldliness. Family, praise God, even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of so much corruption, doctrinal error, worldliness, legalism, political activism, God was still working. God was still working amongst a small remnant of, of righteous people who were confident that Messiah was going to come. And they were desirous to, to live for the Lord and honor Him. And they, they, were, they were hopeful that God's redemption plan was still in process. And family, that's the man Joseph. That's the kind of man that Joseph was. He was a prime example of one of these godly believers of the Old Testament era who were seeking to please the Lord. He was trusting God that the Messiah would eventually come. And he was devoted to do the Lord's will. Joseph was a good man seeking to obey God. And that's why Matthew describes him here as a just man. And maybe you'll underline that in your Bible. Because that tells us that Joseph was seeking to truly live his life for the Lord. Now, what other tidbits can we discern from the Bible about this man Joseph? What else do we know about his biography? Well, we do know that Jesus was often called the carpenter's son. So we do know that, jo that Joseph was a carpenter, in fact, by trade. He was a man who used his hands. He made things from wood. He repaired things that were made out of wood. He was probably involved in some home construction. Homes in that day were often a combination of stones along with wood rooftops. We do know the Bible tells us that Joseph was not a wealthy man. He was a blue-collar, regular man. He wasn't wealthy. But he did have enough resources to become engaged to this girl that he loved, whose name was Mary. And he was hopeful that they would be able to start their life together. Well, family, Joseph was a righteous man, a just man. He was a good man. And we read there, after he discovered that Mary was pregnant during their engagement period, he desired a solution that would be pleasing to God. Now, just put yourself in his shoes for just a minute. Here's this news, that his engaged lady, Mary, is now pregnant. And that must have hit him like a gut punch. It must have felt like someone hit him right in the stomach. Legally speaking, they were already united. They were betrothed. And there was a legal binding there, according to Jewish law. He had not had any physical relations yet with Mary, but now the news comes. She's pregnant. What are people going to think? 
What is his parents going to think? What will her parents think? What will the people around town be saying? What will their friends say? How would people respond? And then on top of all of that pressure, Mary is telling him that she was visited by an angel and that this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine Joseph's mind just has to be spinning with everything that's going on. But I want you to notice, friends, Joseph was a just man. His greatest concern was handling this in a way that would please God. I like how one commentator described Joseph's response. I gave you this little quote in your notes there. Joseph might have reacted in a number of different ways. He could have disappeared in the night. He could have abandoned Mary. Instead, Joseph tried to find a solution that would please God and be merciful to Mary. And Christian friends, I think there's a great application here for you. Great application for me that we can take away right here for our everyday lives. How often do you and I find ourselves surrounded by some personal crisis, some challenge, some problem, something that comes sweeping into our lives? For for some of you I'm looking at right now, some of you it's a health crisis. It's a major health problem you're dealing with. For some of you it's a financial challenge. Things aren't looking too good for you financially here at the end of 2019. Some of you are dealing with a family member, a son, a daughter, someone. Maybe it's a spouse, and there's a real family issue. For some of you, it's problems with your home. you got major breakdowns with your home or your apartment, the place you're living. Some of you are having vehicle issues. This has been a terrible year for you. You've been fighting your vehicle all year. Some of you, it's your job. You're in a major crisis right now. You don't know what's going to happen with your job in 2020. Isn't it so typical of us, friends? That when those crises come, we instantly go into crisis mode and we want to fix the problem. We just want to find quick relief. We want a quick solution. We want the pain to go away. And how often are we fixated on the solution rather than being fixated on God? How might things change with that crisis if we just slowed down and reminded ourselves, hold on a second. I'm not the captain of my fate. I'm not the master of my soul. But God is. God is still sovereign over all. He didn't fall off of His throne. Yes, I'm going through this adversity, but God is still in charge. He is still a good and wise God who does all things well. I know God is in charge, and God doesn't make mistakes. So maybe I need to slow down and say, what would God have me to do in this situation? How could I best respond in this situation in a way that bring brings God glory? Family, I want you to see, that was Joseph's strategy. Do you see this? It wasn't just a quick solution. It wasn't just any solution. No, he was seeking a godly solution. He was looking for a righteous solution because he was a righteous man. He cared about serving God and honoring God even in this crisis. Dear friends, each of us should take a lesson here from Joseph's playbook. Even in crisis mode, we need to seek to do what glorifies God. Now look, I'm not saying that's always easy. It isn't always easy, and what Joseph and Mary are going to go through in these coming uh, few years, two years or so, really is going to be quite a challenge. 
but they sought to honor God. Joseph was a man whose heart was inclined to please God. Look at your notes there. I gave you a few scriptures that, that drive this home for us out of the New Testament. Remember Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You see that first strategy? Seek first God. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first His glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I like Proverbs 3, verse 7 also. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's good advice. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Listen, friend, I don't know what kind of crisis you're going through right now. I look, a, look across this audience and I know there's crisis in the room. I know many of you are dealing with all kinds of adversities and, and challenges and, and uphill battles. I don't know what you're facing right now, friend, but I know God's Word would teach you this truth. Honor Him. Honor Him. Look to Him. Seek to please Him as you step through this process. Joseph might have been just this ordinary, blue-collar kind of guy, but his response in this situation, it was truly extraordinary. Now, let's move on, okay? Can I show you a second line of evidence that proves to us that Joseph was God's man for the job? Joseph really was God's man for the job because of number two, Joseph spared Mary from public humiliation and death. Joseph spared Mary from public humiliation and death. And again, we're, we're, we're focusing in here on verse 18 and, and verse 19. Now, in order to make sense of this, friends, I, I need to take a moment here, just a moment or two to explain for you the typical Hebrew marriage custom so that you can better understand the complexity of, of what Joseph was facing. Now, back during Bible times, marriages were arranged. They were arranged typically by one's parents. Once an arrangement was made by these parents, the two individuals, the two single people, the, the single guy and the single girl, they would be considered betrothed. They were engaged, so to speak. That's the modern word we would use. They would be engaged. And under the Old Testament scriptures, that engagement carried almost the same legal weight as marriage itself. So in our days, you see engagements fracture and break apart all the time. Girls give back the ring, they go their separate ways, no big deal. There's not really any legal attachment to it, but that's not the way it was in Bible times. In the, in this Jewish culture, there was, there was more weight attached to the significance of that betrothal, that engagement. Now, they would get engaged about one year, one calendar year prior to the wedding date. But the, the man and the woman would not live together. The single guy, the single girl, they would be engaged, betrothed, but they would not live together. They each would continue to live with their parents for that 12-month period. And during that time, the, the man, the single guy, he was getting his funds together, getting things ready for his wife and their marriage and their new home and a place for them to live. He would be working on that, and then she would continue to be living at home with her mom and dad. And during that one-year period, it was a waiting period, especially on the part of the woman to demonstrate that she was indeed pure, that she was pure. And then at the end of that one year, the new husband would come, to his bride's home, they would have this grand processional march, and they would have their marriage, and they would live together officially as husband and wife. However, here's what sometimes happened. 
Sometimes during that calendar year, that betrothal period, it would be discovered that the woman was unfaithful. She had been unfaithful. And she becomes pregnant. And the legal description, the legal prescription for that kind of adultery, according to Deuteronomy 22, was a public stoning. If any kind of sexual immorality or adultery took place, the prescription, according to the Old Testament, was death. Not only for the woman, but for the man that she slept with. Now, Joseph at this point, returning to Joseph, Joseph knows his legal rights. Now, many Bible scholars tell us that by the time of Jesus, things had been so corrupted, things had been become so worldly in Israel that not many stonings for adultery took place. Not many. But it was still the legal course of action. So Joseph knows that the legal course he has, one of the courses he can do, is to see Mary publicly shamed, publicly humiliated, and stoned. She ha- he has every right to make her a public example and have her stoned for the fact that she is pregnant during the, the uh, 12-month betrothal period. But family, look again at verse 19. Matthew states that Joseph being a just man, or because, because he was a just man, he thinks to himself that rather than make her a public spectacle, rather than go through the, uh, the humiliation for her, he will simply seek a divorce quietly, discreetly, and he will essentially use the legal standard of the paperwork in Israel to make that marriage be null and void. Now, family, you have to realize what was at stake here. Remember, think about the choice Joseph could have made. What was his legal right to choose? He could have chosen to do that. But because he was a just man, because he was a godly man, he was a gracious man, his attitude and his actions reflect that reality. He genuinely loved Mary. And he did not want to see her publicly humiliated and condemned to this awful death. So because he was a just man, because of his character, instead of creating a scandal, he decides to show mercy. And he decides that he will dissolve the marriage quietly. He'll do it behind closed doors, and Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, made such a provision that a writ of divorce could be written, and he would do that out of love for Mary's sake. Now, friend, I want to just challenge you here on this point. I want you to pause and just think how how you might have responded if you were put in this situation. How do you think you would have responded in this situation? Put yourself in Joseph's position. Would you have had enough godly character? Would you have had enough kindness in your heart? Enough mercy? Enough grace to show it to someone who perhaps doesn't really deserve it? Friends, just think with me. You know this is true. Look how people today often react and respond when cheating is is discovered. What typically happens today when people find out about sexual infidelity? How do people react to that? 
How do they respond to that? How often do the jaded lovers go in and smash the cheater's car windows, smash his windshield? How often do they'll, they'll go and they'll sell some of that other person's prized possessions? Go and sell all the guy's guns. Go and sell all the girl's jewelry. Maybe they'll even do something as powerful as putting a yard sign out. People produce yard signs announcing infidelity to the neighborhood. That's how people respond. That's the natural gut instinct when you find out that this person that you love has cheated on you. Don't you think Joseph at least had some twinges of that gut feeling? The disappointment, what's going on, what has happened here? But notice his response. He's not vengeful. He's not vindictive. He's not ruthless. He chooses to show mercy. Mercy. Dear friend, do you see what a, what a great application we can make here for our own lives as Christians today? Dear friend, even in those situations where, where you have been wronged by someone else, where you've been mistreated, you can still choose to honor God in that situation. You can choose to honor God. And you can show kindness. You can show grace. You can even show forgiveness to perhaps someone who you may not feel is deserving. Friends, we need just a little reminder today, I think, that mercy pleases God. Forgiveness pleases God. Look in your notes. I gave you Mark verse uh, Mark 11 in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Colossians 3 says this, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Friend, if you think forgiveness doesn't matter, you don't think forgiveness catches eyeballs these days? How many of you saw that news story with that, with that man, that African-American young man who came down and, and hugged in the courtroom, publicly hugged the person who had killed his family member? And it was all over the news for over a week about the power of forgiveness being shown to a person who doesn't deserve it. Christian friends, that's the kind of people we're called to be. That's the kind of man Joseph was. And so many of us, we never, we never think of Joseph that way. We don't often think that he was a godly, forgiving, grace-filled man. That's exactly who he was. He was ready to show grace, ready to show mercy on Mary, even when the law prescribed that she should deserve death. Friends, what a challenge that is for us. What a challenge. When we have conflicts with people, when we have conflicts with family members, when we have conflicts with friends and people at the office, people at our work, when we have conflicts even with other Christians, when we have conflicts even with other Christians inside our own church, 
the Bible says we've been forgiven so much by our Savior, we are to be forgiving of others. Forgiving, showing mercy, even in the midst of our flesh, which wants to see that offending person be humiliated and punished. We want that pound of flesh back, but the Bible says forgive. To forgive pleases God. So friend, if, if you want to be one of those people who's used of God, you want to make a difference for God in this world, you want to be used by Him in extraordinary ways, well, friend, you must seek to be a mercy giver. You must seek to be a grace extender. You must be a fast forgiver. Now, let's move on here. We're looking here at these three lines of evidence today. That's what this message is about. Three lines of evidence that prove Joseph was the man for the job. Here's one more piece of evidence. Number three, Joseph submitted willingly to God's instructions. Joseph submitted willingly to God's instructions. Look back at our text here. We're in Matthew 1, picking up in verse 20. Scripture says, but as he, that's Joseph, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you turn with me down to chapter 2 for just a second here? Chapter 2, verse 13. I want to have you follow this with me too. Same, same gospel, Matthew 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, that's Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now families, we're picking up this narrative here, thinking about Joseph. I'm sure he's a little apprehensive. I think I would have been. I think most of you would have been apprehensive too, probably skeptical when you hear Mary's story of this angel appearing to her and that this child is from the Holy Spirit. But Joseph continues to think on that and how's he going to respond? And he says, okay, as a godly man, I think this is what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to write her the certificate of divorce. That's what the law of Moses said. I had this option. I'm going to do it quietly behind closed doors. I still love her. I don't want to see her be humiliated publicly. And he's thinking through his response. But as that's happening, Scripture says one of the Lord's angels appears to him in a dream. And that angel verifies everything that Mary had been saying, that this child was of the Holy Spirit. He would be born of God. And that they are to give this child the name Jesus. Such an important name. That name Jesus comes from Hebrew origin. The name Jesus means God is salvation. 
But verse 24 is the real key for us, friends. Look at verse 24 again of chapter 1. Here's the key verse, key, key, key text. Joseph, when he was aroused from sleep, look at verse 24, he, what's the next word? Did. He did as the angel told him. Friends, here's your undeniable evidence. Here's powerful proof that Joseph was the man for the job. He was a righteous man. He did what the Lord told him to do. And dear friend, let me assure you, this was not the first time that Joseph had obeyed. This was not the first time that Joseph had obeyed what the Lord had instructed. Friends, I think Joseph had a long track record throughout his adult life of seeking to obey God. I think Joseph had a good track record of obeying God. His ear was attuned to obeying God. And because of that, when God shows up with an angel giving special revelation, Joseph did it immediately. You know, even after Jesus was born, we read in chapter 2, the angel comes again in another dream and tells Joseph, you got to get out of Dodge, man, right now. You guys got to, you guys got to leave. You got to get down to Egypt because a mass murder is about to happen. It, it's going to be unfolding from this sadistic king whose name is Herod the Great. And what happens? Again, chapter 2, verse 14, Joseph listened and Joseph obeyed. Dear friends, I want you to just imagine with me what might have happened if Joseph ignored the clear revelation of God. Suppose Joseph awoke from, from sleep, awoke from the dream, and suppose he said, man, I must have had some bad pizza. That, that was a crazy dream. Well, if, if God wants me to do something, I have to wait for something more concrete. Dear friend, how would the story of Jesus be different if Joseph played the fleece game like Gideon did? How might the story of Jesus be different if Joseph fled like Jonah did? Friends, what blessings Joseph would have missed. What danger baby Jesus would have been in had Joseph not keenly listened and immediately obeyed what the Lord had instructed. You know, family, Heather and I are very strict around our house with our kids about our children obeying our instructions. Now, we do not rule like tyrants. We do not rule like ogres. But our children know that in certain areas, when we are giving specific instructions, we expect full 100% obedience. Listen, you've got things in your house just like I do. Hot stoves and sharp steak knives, and busy roads out in front of the house. And when it comes to our instructions on those things, this is not the time for a conversation. We're, we're not having a debate here. We're not having a back and forth. And we let our children know that's, that's the way it's going to be. Because we know, don't we? Don't we know as the parents, we know that a sharp knife can cut to the bone. We know a hot stove brings third-degree burns. We know that 25 feet from our front door are cars zipping by with people on the way to work. And so when we go out to go to the car and go get into the vehicle to go somewhere, and I say to Hadley, my little girl, she's five years old, she's in kindergarten, I say, Hadley, stop right there. Not another step. We expect obedience. Not because we're ogres, 
not because we're tyrants, but because we have her best interests in mind. And believer, it's the same with God's instructions. And we need to understand that, friend. God is not an ogre. God is not some cosmic dictator. He loves you. And He wants what's best for you. But listen, His wisdom and His plan to be implemented in your life means you need to be willing to be instructed. You see, that's what's so great about Joseph. He was willing to be instructed. He was sure to listen. He was quick to obey. Now, friends, for for you and I today in 21st century America, we are typically not finding ourselves in, in these kinds of life and death decisions that require direct intervention, direct revelation from God. and and us taking immediate action on something. But friends, nevertheless, the Scriptures still teach over and over again that you and I are to hear God's Word. We are to listen to God's instructions, and we are to carefully obey His instructions with our lives. You remember what Jesus said in John 14? It's in your notes, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So here's a question for you, believer. Maybe a few questions. Do you want to be used of God? Do you really want to be used of God in this world? Do you want God to show up in your life in amazing ways, in extraordinary ways? Well, friend, then what clear commands of God do you need to start obeying? What clear commands of God, what clear commands of Scripture do you need to start obeying today? Where do you need to start following through on those basic steps of obedience? We could just ask a couple questions. How are you obeying God in the use of your money? Are you obeying God in the use of your money? Are you seeking to obey God in the way you choose music, the way you choose movies, the way you choose other media and interact with it? Are you seeking to obey God in spiritual basics? Just basic spiritual realities like reading your Bible and praying regularly and and being faithful to to a weekly worship. Are you obeying God in those ways? Are you you being obedient to God by, by showing grace to people? By showing forgiveness to your spouse? To show kindness to your kids? Christian friend, you can't expect God is going to bless you, guide you in amazing ways when you are not obeying the clear instructions He's already given you in His Word. So friends, I hope you'll take that as a personal challenge today. You will not be on the receiving end of God's extraordinary blessings, God's extraordinary directives, unless you continue to hear and obey His instructions. You know, maybe you're listening today and you're not a Christian. And right now you're kind of wondering in this message, you're listening, you say, well, I'm not a Christian. What does God want me to do? What's God want me to do? Well, friend, to understand that, to understand what God wants from you today, well, you first need to understand the purpose of Christmas. The Bible says that Jesus came at Christmas. He came into the world for only one reason. Not just so that we'll decorate stuff and give presents and all be happy. Now, Jesus came for one reason only, and that was to save people from their sins. That's why Jesus came, to save people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. 
Jesus means Savior, the God who saves. Jesus came with God's rescue plan. Jesus is God's rescue plan, his reconciliation plan to bring sinners like you and me back into a relationship with God. And that relationship can begin here and now, and it continues on into eternity. Friend, it is because of your sins that Jesus came. He came to be born in the manger. He then lived that perfect life that you and I could never live. Then he went to the cross he took your punishment in mind, the punishment that we deserved for our sins. He absorbed our death penalty, and then he was raised again three days later to prove that our salvation was complete. Jesus didn't come to make you smile. He came to save you, to save you because of your sins. Friend, if you've never received Christ, I, I pray that this Christmas is the Christmas you receive God's gift. It's the greatest gift this planet's ever received. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of the forgiveness of sins. It comes only through Christ. And you receive that gift, dear friend, by faith. By faith. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that what Jesus did was sufficient for you to save you. Look, if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, you have, you have questions about what does it mean to, to put my trust in Christ. Well, friend, if you have questions or if you want to talk with someone, you want to have someone pray with you or open a Bible and show you what it means to be a Christian, friend, come and talk to me after the service today. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's, let's see what it means to be a Christian, to put your trust in Christ. Friend, if, if God is speaking to your heart today about that, friend, make today the day. Let today be the day that you receive God's gift, the gift of salvation. This is your day, friend. This is your day to take your step. It's your day to take your step of obedience, to obey God, to believe on Jesus Christ, to believe Him for yourself as your Savior. Well, friends, today in this message that I've entitled Blue Collar Christmas, we're taking the opening look today at this ordinary carpenter, whom God used in an extraordinary way. Family, here was a guy, a blue-collar carpenter. He never preached a sermon. He never wrote a book. He never performed a miracle. He didn't have a halo over his head, but he did have dirt under his fingernails. He may have been poor in material things, but he was rich in spiritual things. And as we search the biblical record, the evidence is overwhelming. Joseph was a just man. He was a righteous person. And so, Christian friend, I hope today that this look at Joseph, I hope it will stimulate you to be a just person, to be a just man, to be a just woman, to be a just teenager, to be that one who wants to serve God and please Him. So, friend, don't don't treat this message today. Don't, don't treat these verses like more Bible trivia just facts up in your brain. No, let this truth affect your will. Let it affect you so that you'll go out of here this week and you'll start to live differently because of how you've interacted with God's truth. That you'll go out into a new week. You'll be a kind of Christian who honors the Lord in every difficult situation, even in a time of crisis. You'll be that kind of Christian who's grace-filled, who's a fast forgiver, who shows mercy to those who even don't deserve it. But especially, friend, that you'll be an obedient Christian. Like Joseph, you'll be an obedient believer who strives to live what God commands. Friends, just like Mike Rowe, 
wants America today to wake up and, and realize the importance of blue-collar people, how the blue-collar people are making such valuable contributions to our American society. So the Bible wants us to see blue-collar, regular, ordinary people who made valuable contributions to the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians tells us God often chooses what is foolish of this world to shame the wise. God often chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. And family, Joseph fits that mold as the unassuming man that God chose to be Jesus' earthly dad. So be encouraged today, believer. Be encouraged. You don't have to have a PhD in theology. You don't have to be a distinguished professor. You don't have to be a decorated pastor or a missionary. Whatever color your collar, God can use you to make a contribution to His great salvation story. So friend, would you take this final sentence, would you just burn it into your heart, take it with you this week. Humble hearts and holy lives turn ordinary people into extraordinary servants. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.